to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We just got interviewed by a, uh, a reporter for Hot Pod, the podcast industry newsletter. I felt very disappointed that we weren't interviewed by Hot Podcaster, <laughs> which is what I thought it was, and it's why I included so many pictures. <laughs> yeah, why, uh, why all those boudoir photos wound up getting attached to the email. <laughs> yeah, very disappointing. She was asking like about our dynamic together, and I was like, I think that the thing that really drew me to like joking around with Adam was that I, I could like make a joke about a weird PBS show that almost nobody else I know would have seen, but I'll, I'll just drop a sidelong reference to that into a conversation with you and you will pick it up and run with it in a way that is like incredibly impressive and satisfying. And I think that that's kind of what's ruined us, you know? Like, that is that is why the two of us... That's what's ruined this show. That's why the two of us had our minds poisoned and we went out into the world and started trying to make other people laugh with our dumb bits. And, we thought uh, we had something to give to the world. <laughs> we did. I think uh, I think the Friends of DeSoto are a, a rare breed that actually uh, get what this is. But uh, unfortunately... You and I don't always have great judgment about who will like a, a joke of ours and when. And there's been a lot less interaction with uh, with civilians for both of us mm-hmm. uh, over the last 12 months. But uh, it's it, it hasn't been an entirely bit-free pandemic for me. I've tried a bit or two, and I thought maybe we could uh, spend some time this Marin talking about bad bit moments. Bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. Well, this is a bit of a cheat because I, it, it, it's a bit that didn't work with my wife, which is, you know, should just go without saying. <laughs> She's a contract attorney and was working on a, a contract with a client. Her boss's name is Ruben and. Ruben was getting mad at one of the parties to this contract because it seemed like they were dragging their feet, making it take longer than it needed to. They wanted more assurances than seemed reasonable to ask for on certain things. And my wife was like dealing with this and escalated it to her boss to let him know what was going on. And uh, and I said, those guys better get their hands on some Russian dressing, because they're about to get a mouthful of Reuben. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. (laughs) (laughs) I wait for the laughter that I feel guaranteed to receive. That you deserved. That I deserved. And she said, who do you think that that impresses, Ben? (laughs) That's what she said? Yeah. I would rather she say nothing than that. That's hurtful. It was very (laughs) hurtful. And I was like, tell Ruben I said that. I think think Ruben will like it. Especially like that word, the impresses word. That's the most hurtful part. It's not that it wasn't funny. 
yeah to her <laughs> it was that it didn't impress oh no yeah it really smarts when your wife just flips it back in your face like that <laughs> <laughs> You're such a reliably generous laugher, too. I know this as one of the hosts of this show. Like, so generous you are. <laughs> I'm the Pete that. Holmes of laughing on this show. Even though most of what I say does not merit that kind of response, <laughs> it always feels good. And it just doesn't seem right that you can't get that same treatment from either me or your wife. <laughs> I tried to make the case for her. I was like, I was like, that was fun. Like, I'm just, I'm just like making our home environment a, like a fun place where a nice, a nice bit of wordplay can transpire. And uh, she didn't, she didn't care for it. Didn't care for it at all. No, that does not agree with her one bit. No. Wow. <laughs> Have you had any bad bit moments lately? I feel like this is that segment on the old Conan show where. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where they they whip over over to Max Weinberg and he's like I too have a bit Conan <laughs> before playing the pre-tape <laughs> I have and yeah I did that thing that I've been doing all year which is you order the food from the restaurant and then you go and pick up that food. Oh, you ordered it this time? You didn't just uh, steal it from somebody else? No, I didn't. <laughs> this this time, I paid for it. <laughs> so me and me and my wife get in get in the car. We go to pick it up, and most of the time, it's like, wow, your wife goes with you to pick up the food. Oh yeah, that's amazing great. to me. <laughs> Sometimes we like to leave the house, yeah. and that's a good excuse. <laughs> so we go across town. This is not a short trip. Maybe that's why she wanted to go. So go to pick up the thing. And, and on this particular meal occasion, uh, we were ordering from a place we like a lot. So we ordered a lot of food with the intention of leftovers. Yeah. So I, so I show up at this place, and it's like empty. It's just me and this one other dude behind the counter, and I give him my name. And he's super nice. Like, nothing about this interaction is weird whatsoever outside of the weirdness that I inject to it. <laughs> when he hands me a literal banker's box full of food, like, <laughs> like lid and everything. Wow. And I look at this thing, and he looks at this thing, and he's like, all right, there you go. And I was like, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> all I do is... Bits, bits, bits. No matter what. <laughs> and it killed like big laugh out of him big laugh out of me walk oh, out of the place that rules man i had a moment much like you ben i get into the car and i and i tell my wife what happened what kind of interaction <laughs> i just had it's like delighted at myself for what had happened yeah sticking the landing when a joke works and you have a new context to to roll it out, what yeah. could be more tempting than that? She doesn't like it when I laugh at my own jokes. <laughs> and I was very satisfied with myself in that moment in a way that was repulsive to her. So mm. uh, I did not get the points from her yeah. for this that Man. I did. For my no to be the joke judges watching this scene. <laughs> so it was great. It was like the contextual joke that people agree to without planning it beforehand like that was that's what made it so satisfying was like we're both looking at the same thing seeing it the same way mm -hmm. and then that was it <laughs> big fun man T does it temper your enjoyment of the joke that its second outing was so catastrophic relative to its first 
the first shot was so satisfying that nothing could take the glow off of it. Wow. So you're just driving home with shit-eating grin on your face. Yeah. It really, uh, look, we have a long-standing rule, you and I, greatest gen rule, no bits on tips. Right. No bits on tips. However, if you are positive, like yeah. a sniper in a bell tower in a World War II film, if you have the perfect shot that can end the war. Yeah, take it. You got, you got to be sure. Well, and I think that you're also like, you're past the point of tips in that scenario. Like you that's paid exactly online. That's exactly right. There's no, there's no obligation of the, of the tippy to laugh in such a way that they would be yeah. deserving of a, of a greater, like there's no monetary influence happening in the interaction. I think that's crucial. In some ways, that's like the most pure time to joke around with Absolutely. that, with, with a person that is in that kind of position for their, yeah. for their job is like all of the pressure has been taken off and you're just relating to them as a human being. Right. And, uh, and it fucking rules that, uh, that you guys both got a kick out of that. Yeah. I sure did. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you mind if I uh, use some of your material next time I go pick up some food? <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure it's the banker's box, man. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes all the difference, but absolutely. Speaking of things that are awesome, Adam, do you want to get into today's episode of Star Trek Voyager? I mean, I almost feel like I'm in a refractory period of, of just <laughs> relaying a great bit. Yeah. I mean, it's all downhill from here, right? <laughs> As we discuss Star Trek Voyager Season 1, Episode 11, Heroes and Demons. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> so the Voyager has stopped their attempt to race home to uh, take some samples. There's a nearby protostar, and uh, Janeway is working with Bolana Torres on getting some samples of photonic matter from this star. I feel like less linked to the prospect of coffee than normal, but it definitely like feels like pregnant with the possibility of coffee. There is coffee in that star stuff. <laughs> we are going to beam that photonic matter over here, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Uh, just another scene of flagrant disregard for for what a sterile environment engineering should be. Just yeah. go ahead and beam it on over right next to the warp core, right next to BLT's face. Yeah, the the stuff that you beamed from a star... The hottest thing there is. Oh, and and while we're at it, like let's make sure we don't have our hands around the annular confinement beam settings <laughs> that well. Like let's continue to fuck around with with those settings when we're dealing with star stuff. <laughs> it's, it's very it's very funny how like wackadoo and slapdash Starfleet officers kind of seem like they are sometimes like hey we didn't actually like test this before we did it we just did it and then if we if we fuck it up we'll like figure out how to fix it later Seska could have done this yeah why not keep Seska around if this is how you're gonna beam star stuff around <laughs> she would have beamed it right into the warp core and had yeah. some retroactive like surprisingly plausible sounding justification for it. I have no idea what you're talking about. I love how Captain Janeway is like, uh, looks like you got your hands full with this two. Oh, I guess it's one. Okay, it's two again, <laughs> samples of this star stuff. Why don't you get some help for uh, for the work? Yeah. Why don't I call Ensign Kim? 
like on an off day yeah. and get him to come into work. And I was, the 16 year old me was cringing so hard <laughs> in this moment because every retail job I've ever had involved phone calls from managers on my day off just to see what I was up to, see if I feel like coming in and covering a sick call. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's something that's either I would be interested in doing or that I wouldn't be obligated to do because they called in a very uncomfortable way. Yeah. It's really the nightmare scenario outgrowth of... It's a classic retail worker's lament. (laughs) (laughs) Of the conversation that uh, she had with BLT last episode where BLT like refused to give a pessimistic estimate of how much time it would take to do something. She was like, my estimates are 100% accurate 100% of the time. I am not under promising so I can later over deliver. I am giving you my real estimate. And so... So Janeway's response to this is, well, we'll get other people that are supposed to be taking a break out of their recreation time to come help you uh, speed this process up. But when they radio to Kim, he is not aboard the Starship Voyager. That's odd. Classic Star Trek moment when the computer says, Ensign Kim is not aboard the ship. Yeah. Always skin crawly. And you always want the follow-up question to be, computer, when did they leave the ship? Right. And I mean, like they answer that question pretty quickly in that, like, you know, scene on the bridge where Tuvok and Chakotay are like, yeah, no, like we looked and into it and there's no record of him leaving by conventional means. So it must have been unconventional. But like, I want the computer to know the answer to that question. Wouldn't it make being in space feel so much safer, like a not insignificant amount of safer feeling to just know that the computer always had its eye on you? Yeah. And and would always sound a little bit of an alarm if either your heart stopped while you were sleeping or if you were no longer aboard the ship. Right. Like if you're climbing a mountain, you have a rope that is attached to a piton that's hammered into the rock so that if you fall, you don't fall that far. And I think that uh, that a, a computer with the capabilities of the one on a starship should be kind of keeping track of everybody aboard and letting, you know, raising the alarm if anything becomes emergent in any way. This episode continues a series of very interesting compositions I think we're getting on Star Trek Voyager Season 1. There's a two-shot here that's bisected by Tuvok's arm touching his station panel. I just feel like they're really playing around with the space, on the bridge especially, Yeah. uh, during these conversations. And it's something that I really appreciate. It's, uh, no, it's a really cool bridge design, and I, and... I, I like how it feels like it was designed in the tradition of the D, but with like more pragmatism involved. It is not the flagship. It is a it is a working starship in a way that the D sometimes feels like it's it's like set up to be like really presentable, you know? I don't want to be too Larry David about this, but <laughs> like when I look at the reverse shot and I see how small the view screen is, I wanna say like uh here's an idea. <laughs> Why don't you make the view screen wider? You have these walls on the other side, on, on either side of the view screen doing nothing. Why don't you stretch the screen? My wife called me from a shuttlecraft that was about to crash on a planet, <laughs> but I did not take the call because I had the view screen guy there. I've been having static when I try to watch back. 
basketball, and I find that unacceptable. You can use my replicator credits for beverages, but <laughs> never for solid foods. <laughs> Everybody knows that. So they come to the understanding that something weird is going on on the holodeck. The last place anybody saw Harry Kim was going in to do his Beowulf program, and uh, that was four hours ago. And when they scan the holodeck, they they like can't even penetrate. Like there's no definitive readings coming back. Which like it would have been great if they'd just been like, well, where was the last place he was on the ship computer? And be like, he like was in the hall right outside the holodeck and then, huh? What do you think is the average time of a holodeck program for anyone? Like Man. four hours in a Beowulf program without blasting? Seems like a long time. <laughs> well, maybe he was like going for Twitch partner and he just needed to like really rack up some hours, you know? I wonder if if there's pressure. Like you only get your four hours you, do, you don't want to blast too early. Right. Really ride your Beowulf out all yeah. the way to the end. Yeah, he's like uh, he's like the sting of holodeck programs. He's doing tantric Beowulf, isn't he? <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> he may be on the holodeck, but there's a lot of interference, and that's why Chakotay and Tuvok go to the door, give it a heavy knock, and when no one answers, they decide to go on in, and they find themselves in, in this lush forest at night when we cut to theme. I wondered if they built this or if it was a real outdoor set that they shot in, because it's like like there the that like opening shot with the crane shot down like yeah. through the branches of the trees. Like if this is on a soundstage, it's like a really impressive build because yeah. that tree is fucking huge. And it really is. And if they shot outside, kind of like an unusual thing for Star Trek to do. Like a an exterior night shoot is is a fun place to go. Speaking of huge uh, the giant spear that Freya throws <laughs> at Tuvok and Chakotay interrupts a book report that Chakotay gives to Tuvok here. There's no fucking way he knows this much about Beowulf. Give me a break. He's got the he's got the Cliff's notes to Beowulf memorized. Beowulf. It's about a hero named Beowulf, if I remember correctly. When uh, when Freya enters the frame. I thought she had giant fucking honkers because her her like <laughs> armor and then there's like the the like little animal hair balls yeah hanging around her neck and the way she was lit I was like good lord Star Trek like <laughs> you really like shoving them in my face but no it's just it's yeah. just costuming it was it was costuming I think lighting the yeah. like angle of the the way the light hit her it really made her look. Uh, Dolly Parton-esque for a minute, but then... Yeah, she looked like a like the heavy metal box art. <laughs> uh, she is a, a shield maiden uh, representing the, uh, the castle uh, kinged by Hrothgar, and she wants to know, like, what these... What, what these two warriors are doing in her woods that she defends. You know, like, they have to kind of yes-and this, like... She looks at Chakotay and she's like, what the hell happened to your face? <laughs> and those ears on you! Oh. Your faces tell me you are not men of the Danes. You know, the computer won't delete her, so they realize that, like, this is a safeties-off holodeck emergency kind of episode. And so they start to, you know, kind of play along. I feel like they begin playing along with her like less than five minutes into the episode in a way that 
earlier Star Trek would have spent 15 minutes setting up, okay, we have to like do the things that the characters in the game uh-huh. expect us to do in order to advance the plot, and then when we win, then we can get out of the scrape. Did I win? Hardly. Yeah, tonally, it begins very weird. She mentions the raven-haired hero that came to kill the, the monster that's terrorizing her people, and they're like, that's got to be Harry Kim. Uh, the twinkle in the eye is a dead giveaway. We know that Harry Kim has that twink. Freya's like, this man, this Beowulf, he clearly is of a specific sexual prowess. (laughs) His seduction techniques honed after many years and much practice. (laughs) Only he doesn't put it out on the street like you'd expect someone to. He is not horny on main in the way of a weaker man. He was like no other. So she takes them back to the Mead Hall where, uh, you know, where, like, I, the action in Beowulf is like you you get with the, the warriors and you hang out in the Mead Hall and you wait for Grendel to attack. And uh, and this is, uh, this is kind of the central set of this episode. And uh, she brings them in and, and it's very, like, I love the, like, old-timey, like, pomp and circumstance of, like, uh, introducing these these warriors, too, to who have bring, who bring tidings from a faraway land and wish to avenge the death of their, of their former comrade, you know? The vibe is very Beowulf dinner theater. Like, they both enjoy eating with their hands out of novelty, and they're, and, like, like, the interactions with these characters are a little bit stunted. Yeah. It's like if uh, if you had to write a Shakespeare-like play, but you're in high school and you like don't really have that many, yeah, <laughs> reps reading Shakespeare, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Rothgar, played by uh, the same actor that played Patrick of the Unforgettable X-Men in Deep Space Nine. How about that? Yeah, really liked seeing him. Yeah. Um, we also got uh, get to meet. Unferth, who is kind of his right-hand man. And Unferth really, like, kneecaps himself from a scariness standpoint right off the bat because he says, like, your friend is a coward and he was killed by by Grendel along with our 30 best warriors. Uh, and, and so, like, we're doing the math at home going, okay, so Unferth is definitely, at best, the 31st best warrior they had. You just played yourself, Unferth. <laughs> you put a quarter in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even Peter Principle. He's like, what's left for like right hand man of the king? <laughs> I don't know anything about Beowulf. Is this just Unferth being Unferth? I don't know. It's been a long time. It's been yeah. a long time since I've read or seen it. Um, but uh, but I like that character. Like, I think that that's like very intentional on the part of the writers that that Unferth is like kind of an idiot and and doesn't realize how much he is betraying that to all of the other characters every time he speaks. I think it's interesting that the comm channel isn't open at all times because about this point, Tuvok and Chakotay call up to the bridge where they tell Captain Janeway that we're pretty sure Kim has died. And the captain's like, shit, like you guys have been gone for hours. Could you report back a little bit more frequently? What is going on in there? I feel like a moment of unintentional comedy happens when certain things were done physically in the take as the sequence was edited together. Chakotay starts giving Captain Janeway, you know, the update. 
that what they're inside is a Beowulf program. And Captain Janeway hangs her head after hearing that in a, oh God, this is one of those episodes of Star Trek kind of way. Why couldn't it have been a horny, bouncy castle program? Come on. And then tells her about Kim's possible death, to which she reacts, you know, appropriately there too, but not nearly as physically as the take she gives to learning that it's Beowulf. And I just thought that was real fun. Yeah. Followed pretty close after that, Chakotay and Tuvok have a little conversation about like what demons and scary characters in uh, in human literature mean. And like, you know, Chakotay is talking about how they represent like darker emotions and they're a way to like explore those things. And Tuvok goes like, well, that's why we don't have any of those kinds of characters in, in Vulcan literature. And Chakotay just savagely dunks on Vulcan literature. That might account for its popularity. <laughs> Brutal. But uh, Tuvok does not get a chance to uh, rebut this because they get paid a visit by said demon. The barn doors on the mead hall start like rattling and like light comes pouring in from the cracks and, uh, you know, the doors burst open and we uh, cut back up to the bridge and we've lost contact with Chicote and Tuvok. The hypothesizing around this moment is that they've been turned into photonic energy. And this is a phrase that we're familiar with based on that opening scene. And when you are converted into a being of pure energy, uh, it's also known as the endless climax. And (laughs) we can be sure wherever these three crew people are, they're having a hell of a time. Yeah, it rules in whatever nexus they've found themselves in. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so so they need to send someone in. One man, one loose cannon who doesn't play by the rules but gets results. That man is Doc Holliday. Me. They really needed an exocomp for this mission, huh? They really did. Yeah. They need- Something that's never climaxed before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they go down to Six Bay and kind of pitch the doctor on this, and it's kind of a head trip for him he's never even considered the possibility it seems like they play a lot in the margins of you know doc holiday potentially being scared about the mission to come did you ever get the whiff that there was an option for him like could he have said no it wasn't great that the episode like failed to explore that at all. Like, how much agency are they imagining this character to have? Because I think Cass is at this point treats him as like a full entity with all of the rights and responsibilities of a citizen of the Federation. Yeah, and I know that like the captain has moved quite a bit toward that position over the course of this first season, but I don't feel like super confident that she's a hundred percent of the way there. I was shocked that that was a conflict cul-de-sac instead of a conflict road because like that's where the rubber meets the road on whether or not Doc Holliday has any sort of personhood and they just totally ignore the idea of choice here in a way that I thought really could have imbued this moment and the rest of the episode with some real hardcore pathos here like what if he didn't want to do it what if he felt obligated somehow yeah and it would have made Kess more interesting, too, because if Kess is riding on a different side than Captain Janeway, then there's conflict there. If I was editing the script of this episode, I would have resolved all of the where is Harry stuff 
in two lines of dialogue with the captain asking the computer where he mm-hmm. was when he left and the computer spitting back the holodeck. And then we could have gotten right into that. And that might yeah. have given us more time in this scene for that. The one thing I really love about this scene is the doctor kind of reflecting on what is making him nervous about this situation and the idea that his world is about to get so much bigger. It's like not something he'd ever considered being able to do, going to a forest or like doing an adventure. And it's like, I don't know, the first time you go to a, another country or something for him. Like it, I really liked that part of the scene. Like the, yeah. there was some real authenticity there that felt relatable despite the fact that this character's experience is like inherently unrelatable. Yeah, I like that moment too. I mean, he he's only ever existed in this one room. Right. Now imagine your world goes from one room to a universe, really. Yeah. Imagine you've been vaccinated, for example. Right. <laughs> right. So the pitch is for Doc Holliday to get close enough to Grendel to study this energy surge. That's in simplistic terms what the mission is. It's not any more or less heroic than that, but he's got to He's got to be transported into the program, which is uh, a bit of business that they give to Paris. Yeah, they've got to kind of rebuild some of the electrical wiring to make that feasible. So he, the doctor has some time to prepare, and he's told to prepare like by basically familiarizing himself with the text of Beowulf. But Kess is also suggesting like maybe like decide on a name for yourself so that when you go do that, you have a name to give when you like encounter other characters. It would be nice to know what to call you when you die. (laughs) (laughs) Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So Paris is sort of the uh, chief O'Brien of this scene. He's the transporter chief who is transporting one hologram from one room to another. And uh, like, I feel like Paris has, I mean, I, I, I feel like they've given him other scenes to do like technical and scientific stuff before but that seemed like a full element of his character in this episode in a way that it has been kind of a light element uh, in previous episodes I, he he got a ton of of techno babble and like knowing things about how physics works and stuff a hologram can't be converted into energy it already is energy that like i don't associate with like fighter jock which is kind of the other side of his character right he was introduced as the pilot basically but he is really like a polymath right like yeah he, he's like he, super capable in a lot of yeah. different ways yeah, and, and you feel safe when he's transporting you, which is a quality that we haven't really gotten a bunch of in Star Trek Voyager. Am I making any sense here? I have no idea what you're talking about. The doctor shows up in the program, and I really liked the extent to which it just felt like the like I'm starting a new playthrough of Skyrim. Like, it yeah. always starts the same way, you know? Yeah, you wake up in the back of that cart. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you... Finally awake. Freya throws a throws a spear at you. And his interaction with her kind of takes the conversation into some different places, but it's it's really fun. <laughs> I was thinking about how much the characters in Beowulf felt like they were written a lot like Klingons, like they're kind of warriors and they have Yeah. Like they think of themselves as warriors and they think about their honor and their prowess in battle. And Freya's really excited to learn that, like, her 
like the fame of her deeds has reached foreign lands. And I sometimes think about Klingons as being kind of dumber than other Star Trek characters. Right. But this really made me realize that Klingons are, are no dumber than other Star Trek characters. These are the dumb characters. Quite so. A hero's name. Yeah, I mean, for as fraught as the situation is for Freya and company, uh, she still wants to make the time to do psychedelics. <laughs> In the scene where she like spots them growing on a on an overturned log. Yeah. And uh, and she's like, I can't wait to trip balls with you, Doc. Let's do this. <laughs> and uh, and the doctor waves a tricorder over them and, and he's like... I do not have time for an ayahuasca experience. We've got a kind of an emergency afoot. <laughs> yeah, it seems uh, pretty dangerous, but they gather all this material and they take it to... Uh, to the king. Yeah. What is that what is that place? Is it a castle? I think it's a mead uh, hall. It's a meadery? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they make the mead here, but they definitely drink the mead here. And yeah. uh this is a, a a very fun scene for the doctor. It seems like maybe the first time he's ever eaten anything. Yeah, and he's got the novelty elk leg that you get at Disneyland. <laughs> it's yeah. big big fun. And I love all of the takes that Robert Picardo has here. We're doing a lot of shot reverse shot, and it seems like every time we return to him, he's had way more elk leg than you think he's he's had. <laughs> <laughs> like there's an elk leg passage of time thing going on that that is yeah. big fun. And uh, when he does take bites of it, he takes really big bites, and they they like at a certain point have to like go like all right, knock it off to taking the giant bites of the elk. <laughs> <laughs> right. You want to keep that elk leg continuity if you can. Yeah. Unferth, again, super threatened by the doctor, and they have to uh, establish some dominance. And this takes the form of a sword fight between uh, who the man we're call- now calling Dr. Schweitzer and Unferth. And uh, what we've learned is that the doctor can turn off and on his magnetic containment so he can he can be a pass-through hologram or a solid hologram at will and uh, he whips this trick out and it really wows the crowd defend yourself <coughs> it's orange soda in my mouth that's what you want right there after doing a magic trick mm-hmm. very fun to hear uh, a bunch of primitive danes chanting schweitzer yeah the name of a uh french doctor slash theologian i think there's a very like army of darkness emotional vibe to this scene and the one that follows though right because he does this great feat of strength in front of everyone and mm-hmm. then freya's basement is like totally flooded right the very easy visual metaphor of like her stoking a fire <laughs> that it, <laughs> as as she has this conversation and and like bonds with the doctor yeah afterwards and they have a lot in common because like she's she's afraid of of this growing sense of loneliness that she's felt as you know 30 people and more have died by grendel and uh, she's taking a look around and not a lot of people are left at this point and uh, and that fills her with a kind of fear that the doc can actually appreciate because i think that's like the main thing about the doctor is his sense of loneliness in the world and you know one thing leads to another right like their connection builds to a point where they are actually smooching in this scene I did not expect the doctor to get his first kiss before the captain got her first kiss. That's a great call. I think we are to infer that he does not bang. 
in this scene. Before combat, it is most important to stay warm. First you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. The question remains, though. Could he bang? Does he have the tools? Oh. Is he programmed in multiple techniques? Is he fully functional? Ben, if he has the entirety of of medical texts available to him, he probably knows where everything is. I mean, he's got a tongue, so he can do a lot, you know? He's got fingers. He's seen it all. Yeah. He knows his way around down there. It's interesting how much sexuality is injected into the Freya character just by virtue of the way she pronounces things. Like, I had a very strong sense memory from her uh, relating to the character of Simone from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Like, there's a roundness to her pronunciation hmm. that that seems, like, uh, exotic right. in, that, in that way. And it, it really, like, it made her very attractive in that same way. Fate often spares a doomed warrior. Before you go, will you come and watch the sunrise with me? I know what you mean, that the Sunset Boulevard, like, like, yeah. like fancy pronunciation of things is really alluring in some way. But not ham and cheese at all in any way. It's, like a, it's a special quality that few actors can bring to it. I, it. It was just very noticeable to me. Yeah, and it's not like breathy horniness. It's, no. It seems yeah. more sophisticated than that for some reason. Right. So she leaves and, uh, and in comes... Grendel, which looks just like the the glowing uh, entities that they beamed into the uh, into the petri dishes in the first scene, and the doctor is is scanning it, and it kind of like extends these light tendrils out to him, and one grabs onto his arm, and uh, he kind of he kind of panics. Emergency! And they, they beam him back to Six Bay, and he materializes in Six Bay with one of his arms, like, lopped off just below the shoulder. And it is just arterial spray everywhere. Like, right. It is a totally disturbing amount of bodily fluids coming out of this stump. Six Bay report. I think you better come take a look at this. Because you have to keep in mind, he's a hologram, so that there, there's no, like, theoretical limit to how much can pour out of no. him. And it's like... I mean, if you think of his body as being like a TARDIS, like it's full of so much more blood than you could possibly imagine. The pressure of it really surprised me. Yeah. Like it, it takes the bark off of a tree. Like that's how much pressure's behind it. Yeah. Like, and when you're running a video game and there are like a lot of characters on screen, you sometimes start to get like lower frame rates, you know? And that does not happen in the holodeck. Like when when he a- appears in the holodeck and starts spraying that blood everywhere, it's just coating every wall, every surface. There's yeah. droplets of blood flying everywhere. It gets in Paris's mouth, and it doesn't slow down at all. It just goes and goes. And they take this all the way to the commercial break. Yeah. When we come back, they've uh, they've reattached the arm. <laughs> Ensign Hazmat is is mopping blood up in the background of Six Bay. My name's Gene, actually. I've already forgotten that. They've uh, they've got some uh, some really great data out of this expedition because uh, the doctor was there scanning this entity when it made contact with him. So BLT is able to like get a lot more data out of these scans than she was any previous scans, and she's like, "This is great because I can like go." run experiments on the other two ones we have in engineering in a 
dangerous proximity to the warp core <laughs> and see if I can't figure out like how we can like flush the photonic energy out of the holodeck and maybe rematerialize our crew members because that's like what they're talking about is like there is maybe some evidence that there's like synaptic patterns in this stuff so they're like oh like the the molecular patterns of our crew may be preserved in there somehow mm-hmm. and if we could somehow find that and rematerialize them in the way that you would rematerialize something on the transporter pad like we may be able to save them yet there's coffee in that synaptic pattern and uh it really reminded me of that episode emanations where harry goes missing like and how uh, little hope there seemed to be of them rescuing Harry in that episode. And, and we talked about how weird it was that they weren't, like, grappling with the fact that they may never see him again in that. Like, this, they, like, the, the mile markers of, like, we think we can get these guys back are in there as early and often as you need them to to not have that same problem. I don't know what it is that's broken in me. <laughs> <laughs> But that episode trained me for this episode in almost the opposite way, in that every time I heard a mention of, like, a synaptic pattern, uh, I was thinking, well, yeah, obviously this energy is alive. I wasn't considering the idea that the crew people were trapped inside. I was just thinking of this yeah. energy as a, as a sentient thing. And this is a this is a suspicion that is confirmed when we take it over to engineering, and one of the energy beings breaks out of its container and slimers its way through a wall. (laughs) There have been so many episodes already in Voyager that are like, this thing that we thought was just energy is in fact alive. And there have also been so many episodes of, where did Harry go? Right. It's it's really a Harry of the Week kind of show at this point. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. But when it slimers its way through the wall, it goes outside the ship and into this sphere in space that uh, it reminded me of the ship that um, Clint Howard was in in that episode of TOS. Mm. You'd only catch a brief glimpse of it, but it uh, really reminded me of that. It looks cool. And so they start to put it together. Like, this is a ship in some way that we don't fully understand. The photonic energy things are uh, beings. Our crew members are have been converted to energy, and they're over there on that ship. And we have done the classic Starfleet's lament of thinking we were just scooping up some samples, but in fact hurting people and destroying a civilization. And so we need to like make amends. We need to offer them uh, some kind of gesture of peace and understanding and see if, uh, see if we can get our, our dudes back. Good for Janeway resisting her first instinct to drive her ship into this thing. <laughs> We need to go inside the, <laughs> the <Right>. capsule. <laughs> so the doctor and Captain Janeway agree that a kind of prisoner exchange might be in order here. Mm-hmm. If what they've got is this last sample that hasn't busted out of engineering, and if what they've got are the three crew people, maybe we can meet in the demilitarized zone between <laughs> us on the holodeck and maybe, maybe do an exchange. So that's the yeah. plan. They turn uh, the doctor into Oliver Schweitzer, (laughs) and it's hostages for hostages. The way it should be. Yeah, that's a good kind of exchange. I have no complaints. That's what they say. The the best kind of negotiation is when both parties are exchanging hostages. (laughs) That's the saying, right? I'd like to finish what I started, Captain. I can do this. 
So, uh, so the, they give the doc the other photonic entity in a canister and uh, send him into the holodeck, and he starts in the same place. So uh, this is uh, back in the forest, the, the part of the game where you meet Freya, and uh, she recognizes him. She's really excited to see him. They meet like old friends. Yeah. She's like, uh, we didn't get down on that first date, and uh, that's only made me more excited for this date. That's exactly what I was getting that was like you get, this scene is what confirms that they didn't fuck in the previous scene because if they had it would have been way more awkward. That would be difficult to explain. Speaking of awkward though, Unferth shows up. He's very jealous. Yeah, Unferth is a real shit talker and he doesn't take kindly to the doctor's advances. He uh also thinks that the doctor is like a coward. He doesn't trust the way the fact that the doctor survived his encounter with Grendel. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to prove that the doctor is a coward. So he starts swinging his sword. And uh, he, the doctor is not allowed to like de-solid himself this time because he's got to carry this, uh, this canister. And I guess if he, if he isn't solid, he could drop the canister right through his hands. Yeah, so this fight has real stakes. Uh, unfortunately... The stakes involve Freya's death. Yeah. Unferth stabs her. He's stabbing at the doctor, and she, uh, she like, jumps in front of the bullet that is a dagger. And uh, she's lying on the ground, shuffling loose this mortal coil as uh, Unferth grabs the canister and runs off. And the doc is, like, not even worried about the canister at this point. He is, he is focused on Freya. And uh, she's, like... Dying the death of a warrior, you know, like go finish the work, leave me, leave me to bleed out here. Before you go, <clears throat> I just have one question. <clears throat> what are you working with down there? <laughs> I mean, is it is it smooth like like a doll, or is it is there junk? She coughs that, that last line out and he raises his hand his head to heaven and screams out to let Stovokor know a warrior is coming. Yeah, this really lights a fire in the doctor's ass. He barges back into uh, the Mead Castle and demands the the talisman from the king. Yeah. He is in not fucking around mode in a way that uh, I was really excited by. He can't kill someone's special person. Really makes them upset. He really gets into the character of the moment too. Like he gets yeah. that torch and he's like it like it's all intimidation factor, right? Like he doesn't actually have to beat Unferth in single combat. He just like approaches him with sword and torch and Unferth completely shits himself and you know, like it's basically calling Unferth's bluff. I was confused by this scene at first and I had to replay it a few times because that's all it is. It's it's the warfare of attitude. The The threat is somewhat implied in that he's using two melee weapons and two hands and, you know, who knows what could happen. Yeah. But, like, it's really in the way that the doctor carries himself more than anything. Uh, Unferth fucked around and found out. And yeah. what he found out is that he's uh, not going to get killed today because uh, the doctor is programmed to do no hollow harm. Mm-hmm. And so... He just takes his talisman back from Rothgar and turns to the door and basically challenges Grendel to to come in and uh, and uh, and meet him. And um, 
the doors fly open and uh, and he opens the canister and the baby photonic entity goes like it's just like a littler version of the big of the big one that is uh, occupying the the role of Grendel doesn't change what happens to the doctor though uh, his arm once again taken off just above the elbow <laughs> and he just fire hoses everyone yeah. in the mead castle yeah you see Rothgar like succumb to the blast of blood in the face he can't he can't catch a breath <laughs> have you ever tried to get like 50 gallons of blood out of a out of a fur stole (laughs) (laughs) it's never gonna be the same no and uh you know it's it's sad because the elk aren't quite as populous in this part of the forest as they were when he built the mead hall yeah the elk are gonna stay far far away from this place (laughs) (laughs) you may be attracting more wolves than anything yeah so what's interesting about this exchange is that it happens kind of off camera. Like we yeah. cut back to the bridge of the ship and then we cut back to uh, the bloody meat hall and our crew people have materialized. Yeah, like the doctor was like pitching the entity on like, hey, could we get our people back now too? We, we didn't mean anything by it. We We knew not what we did. And then it's like on the bridge, we get him radioing up like, hey, great news. All of the main cast members that you were worried about at the beginning of the episode are going to be just fine. The button on the episode is uh, is that, you know, while this began as an exciting first contact episode, it does not appear as though there will be further contact. The way that the captain puts it is that uh, this was your classic episode of Star Trek where there's a conflict <laughs> that we resolve through communication upon arriving at our resolution, which is this scene that I'm in right now. <laughs> I'm placing a special commendation in the logs. And that's it. Like, we're, uh, we're out. And uh, the doctor got his first away mission. The suggestion is that this won't be the last holodeck rodeo for the doctor. Like, that's definitely the tone and the promise of this thing. But he doesn't get to decide that, huh? Like, that we leave him in, in Six Bay. Yeah. But what I wanted was as soon as Captain Janeway leaves the room for him to, like, fi- frizzle out and go back to the holodeck. <laughs> I, was, I, I was a little bit hoping for Paris to be like, well, I'm off and heading down and going, firing up the Marseille pool bar and, you know, saying, like, hey, Doc, like, uh, you want to you wanna come shoot a couple of racks with me or something? And and like showing the holodeck as being also a place for fun for the doctor. Yeah, I wonder how much we're gonna get the personality chickens coming home to roost as the doctor becomes more and more integrated with the crew. Like he's treated a lot of people like shit up until now. Like <laughs> I wonder true. if I wonder how likely a scenario like that would be for Tom Paris to see the lonely doctor and be like, "Well, this guy's been a fucking dick to me <laughs> for for 10 episodes. Like why would I want to go shoot pool with him?" I could see Paris as being the kill him with kindness type of person. Yeah. But um yeah, it's, it it ends on a much more melancholy note of the doctor talking yeah. about how he's not going to keep the name Schweitzer because when Freya died, it was the last, you know, she's the last person to call him that and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to continue with that cuz it'll be too painful a memory. I wonder how I mean, this is something you'll just never know, but when you come up with a famous doctor mm-hmm. name for your TV show doctor, 
like how close could you possibly come to accidentally naming him Cosby or whatever? <laughs> and like having and and having like retroactive awful thoughts about the doctor name that you choose because something comes out about that historical doctor right. that you didn't know at the time. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like if if he I mean, and especially now, like if he picked somebody that like wasn't considered a, you know, like they're like something bad about them wasn't widely known then, but is now like, like he calls himself Dr. Oz, like Dr. Oz wasn't on TV. They just thought it was a fun name, but then like coincidence makes it so that he's super shitty. The it's name I've like... selected is Dr. Drew, a totally <laughs> generic name that will not be controversial ever. Dr. Phil. Does that appeal to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think these are great ideas, guys. I think this is a this is a talented writers room. No bad ideas here. <laughs> I like our choices. I, I think this is there's no way we can lose. Yeah. Cass, I've arrived at my decision. Dr. Laura. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in agreement about how much we like those names, Ben. But did you like the episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Uh, I did like the episode. I think that this was a really fun holodeck adventure. It's like... It's got the same problem that a lot of Star Trek holodeck adventures have, which is that they just don't have the budget to really nail the period that they are depicting the way that you wish they would. Like, it it is not a Game of Thrones level fit and finish on the sword and, you know, right. sword and cloak costume design. But if you can get past that, I think it's a really fun story, and um, and I like that they are using it for like a, a very like unique to Voyager kind of plotline. Like this, this couldn't have been a TNG plotline or a DS9 plotline. It it only works in the context of this show, yeah. and I thought it was a really fun way to kind of develop the Doctor character and get under his skin a little bit more. Yeah, I, I really agree. I think as a vehicle for the Doctor and their growth, I think uh, I feel like they did a really great job with that development, and uh, I was very satisfied with it. It should be noted, Ben, that Marjorie Monaghan, the actor who plays Freya, mm-hmm. uh, was in a lot of episodes of Babylon 5. This is why we didn't recognize her, because uh, <laughs> we don't watch that seen. show and won't. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, what we will watch is the Priority One inbox for The Greatest Generation, and we watch it fill up every week. Do you want to go see what's in there? It never disappoints like an episode of Babylon 5. Likely would. <laughs> Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. The message goes like this. He who is my husband encouraged me to buy this Jumbotron. I'm a freelance writer looking for work. I can write anything you'd like within reason. TV and movie reviews, SEO-focused articles, erotic hollow novels, Klingon operas. Basically, (laughs) I'm like an exocomp for writing, but slightly less (laughs) self-aware. Email me at ednjones42 at gmail.com. And let's remember the 60-second rule of acquisition. 
The riskier the road, the greater the profit. Live long and prosper. We love you, Ben and Adam. So uh, there's that email address, ednjones42 at gmail.com. And there's also a website where you can see their work at sinisterblog.com. Wow. I love this. Uh, I love this uh, promotional jumbotron. You know, cultivating new business for uh, for a freelance writer, and also helping out your favorite Star Trek podcast. That rules. Yeah, I like this a lot. This is a good kind of commercial message here. Yeah, love it. Uh, thanks for getting it, and i I hope that I hope that leads to some some writing gigs. I, yeah, follow I, up with us. I really hope it pays off. You know. Yeah. Uh, the next priority one message we have here is of a personal nature. It's from Becky, and it's to Andrew. It goes like this. I wasn't able to get this during the DS9 run, but maybe I can time it for your birthday. This is me making good on the bet that I won in June 2018. I love you a real lot, and thanks for introducing me to a whole new level of nerd. We made it through 2020 together. And you are still my favorite and only pandemic buddy. Happy birthday, Andrew. We are uh, months late on that birthday message <laughs> for Andrew, but happy birthday nonetheless. Yeah, a lot of pandemic buddies. Not as fortunate at the end of this as Becky and Andrew making yeah. it through. Good job by them. Good job by them. Ben, our final priority one message is from Terry, and it is to Lizzie. The message goes like this. Happy birthday, Lizzie. Also, congratulations on having finished both your class and DS9. Love, Terry. Man, that's great. Lizzie is a real class act, I would say. Hopefully both Lizzie and Terry have stuck around for the Voyager version (laughs) of this show. I mean, The Greatest Generation is something that you and I will never finish. Right. We're confined to the show... Forever, we're chained to it like a radiator. Yeah, hoping, hoping that uh, Terry and Lizzie, Becky and Andrew, and uh, EDN Jones forty two are uh, are chained to the same radiator as we go forward on the show. <laughs> uh, folks may notice that we've been reading three priority one messages in shows lately. Uh, we really appreciate all of the support, and we we stacked up the the three per episode for a while because we are pretty much booked solid through the end of the year, and we just wanted to like try and move through some of those P ones in a way that was fair to the people that have bought them, uh, but also uh, you know got them as close to the dates that they requested as they could uh, without you know jumping over anybody or whatever. So um, that's why we've been stacking them and racking them like this. Maybe people will keep buying P1s, and the way to do that is by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, that's something we can hash out with our network, but uh, we really appreciate the support, and um, we're sorry so many of these are like so many months after the date that you, you were trying for. Got to think real far out in advance on these, uh, just given uh, how much support we've gotten for the P1 program on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it means a lot to us. Thanks. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It seems like it would be Harry Kim, but it's amazing how much of this episode exists without him. Like, it's yeah. just implied that this is what he's into. <laughs> and, that, and that makes him a little weird. Yeah. And then we hear these holodeck characters talk about him. Like, 
I still want to make him the Shimoda of this episode. He's the reason for this episode's being. He is my Shimoda, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always fun to be the what-the-fuck-just-happened guy at the end of an episode where everything was about rescuing you. Right. But also, like, the, you're right. Like, the implications of Harry's, like, personal recreation time that this this hollow program makes is very fun you know it's got to be so deeply embarrassing though to like to suddenly reappear and you're seeing people that weren't supposed to be there and they're your co-workers <laughs> that's no good yeah they're like um i'm not really into this i was just trying it out <laughs> yeah yeah do not like if you're harry kim objection noted we'll do this without you do it well uh that was a really fun episode to talk about, Adam. But uh, we've got to decide how we will talk about the next episode of Star Trek colon Voyager. Uh, for that, we use the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, which is at gach.biz slash game. And uh, while you are firing that up, I'll tell you about season one, episode 12, Cathexis. Energy beings from a nebula displace Chakotay's consciousness from his body. Another energy being episode. I hope that this energy being separates Chakotay's personality from his body and then throws it away. (laughs) Gives him a better one. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a benevolent energy being that is like, hey, what if he was like really gregarious and fun or something like that? Not a fan of Chakotay at this point. (laughs) I think it's a really like fun uh, inversion of star trek to underwrite one of the male characters <laughs> i really wonder if this is character ditch being dug that that he will eventually climb out of in a satisfying way oh, i really wondered that i think yeah. i hope it happens like that because i don't like not liking a character as deeply as i do here <laughs> <laughs> like he's sub neelix to me wow and that's fucked up That's fucked up, dude. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Ben, I'm over at uh, the Game of Buttholes game board, and I'm looking at our runabout piece, which is currently on square 94. You can check our progress by going to gach.biz slash game. A roll of a five would get us to a Mornhammered, Ben. And a point of order here I want to check with you is that... uh, is it an exact roll situation? If I roll a six, do we go back to one? What happens? I don't remember how the functionality of the game board works. I guess we're uh, about to find out. Yeah, I guess uh, go ahead and fuck around. All right, I've got the die in my hand. I'm giving it a roll. A five is what I wanted, and a five is what I got, Ben. Oh, my God. Like Babe Ruth, you called your shot. Yeah, this is this is hitting my number in craps, uh, and it pays big time because the next episode will be a Mornhammered episode. It will be a Power Hour episode. God damn, I haven't had a, uh, a six-pack of beer in my fridge in a long time. I'm going to go, uh, I'm gonna have to go supply myself. I think I want to do mine with seltzer. I don't. I don't really like drinking a lot of beer anymore, and we don't really have it in the house. I, I think I might do a hard seltzer style. That's how are you going to mix individual shots of hard? Oh, you're going to like buy. You're going to buy like claws. Well, either that or like the, the last hard seltzer I got from that brewery 
in Santa Barbara was fucking great. Like that's oh, the yeah. shit I want. I never see this anywhere, but I discovered that a store in my neighborhood sells 24 packs of Olympia beer, which wow, holy yeah, that's a that's a beer I really like, and it's it's usually something you only see in the uh, in the Seattle region in, in in my experience, anyways. You know what, dude? Let's meet up because I'll I want to I kind of want to do the same. I want some of that Olympia. Yeah, I mean we're we're uh, we're vaxxed enough to make that happen. Yeah, we can. We're vaxxed enough to hand uh, a half rack of beer to each other <laughs> when um, when the opportunity arises. So yeah. let's do it. All right. Well, I'll go. I'll go procure that, and uh, and we'll we'll find a we'll find a way to make the handoff happen right. soon. Well, uh, that will be next week on the show, which actually, uh, come to think of it, is the beginning of the Max Fun Drive. Which uh, is the one time a year where we uh, where we really push new and upgrading support of the show. Uh, I think we're going. Are we going for two thousand new and upgrading again this year? We should have a meeting about that. <laughs> That's the right number for us. Yeah, that would be really great. So if you're uh, enjoying the show and you haven't supported yet, or if you are considering upgrading, uh, the Max Fund Drive is the best time of year to do it because you get even better inducement gifts than normal and uh, we'll be putting a a very fun couple of very fun um, bonus episodes in the donor bonus feed uh, coming up soon Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun and i'm really looking forward to it i think we're going to have a great drive this year back to the standard two weeks which is something that we're all thankful for (laughs) looking forward to a tight and tidy two-week max fund drive this year to make sure that the greatest generation continues apace yeah so uh yeah and and i think we'll probably be doing lots of uh fun stuff on twitch and uh you know of course we we reached our goal in the last max fund drive to destroy the falcon uh we have some lego kits that have now been built and i think I'm not promising this yet, but I think we may try to do that live on the internet when we destroy the Falcon. And uh, the Falcon <laughs> this year takes the form of the uh, Star Destroyer model, the one that's like five feet long. Mm-hmm. And we're going to drop that on the Roman Colosseum model, which is the highest number of pieces ever in a Lego kit. And uh, Adam is building that. I built the, the Star Destroyer, and we're going to let them destroy each other. Now, we haven't agreed on what is being dropped onto what. I personally believe that the Colosseum should be dropped Oh, interesting. on the Star Destroyer. I can see the case for that, because I bet the Colosseum is much denser than the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. It's, so it'd be like dropping a, duty. a rock in a pond. Yeah, it's going to be amazing, and I love the idea of uh, doing it on Twitch, a place uh, that has had exactly zero technical issues for us <laughs> along the way yeah we may have to bring in a uh, a pro to help us with that but uh so keep your eyes locked on the at greatest trek uh, social media accounts for news about that and uh, obviously follow and subscribe to the greatest trek twitch account yeah uh, if you haven't already we uh we really appreciate that those accounts are run by the card daddy bill tilly who's put on the payroll uh, and uh, he does a really great job with the social media stuff for this show we also got to thank adam ragusia who makes the original music for the program of course based on the picard song by dark materia that you hear under my voice right now if you haven't lately go give 
Greatest Discovery a listen. We're doing a lot of fun things in the off-seasons of the new Star Trek series over there. We've got a number of fun interviews already in the can and, uh, and some comic books chat. Uh, we'll, we'll go deep diving into TOS episodes on occasion as well. It is the creative sandbox for the hosts of The Greatest Generation, and it's a lot of fun, so give it a listen. Give it a listen. There's tons of new Trek news coming out every week, and we're talking about it over on The Greatest Discovery. Right. Give us a nice uh, review on Apple Podcasts. If you ask a question in your review, we might answer it on an upcoming episode of the show. Uh, Also, if uh, you're looking for other Friends of DeSoto to connect with, uh, there are some really terrific groups on Facebook and uh reddit and the drunkshimoda.com discord group and uh every everywhere you go that there are friends of DeSoto are fun places to go friends of DeSoto totally fucking they do and with that we will be back at you next episode with another great episode of star trek voyager an episode of the greatest generation voyager where we test if we can become beings of pure energy by drinking enough beer can't wait to find out. Make it so. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.